0: Everybody and welcome to Miss Nyag and Iskwayak. Uh, My name is Kayla, and I am one of the co-podcasters. I don't think <laughs> we ever decided what we actually call ourselves. Podcaster. Podcasters podcasters um, for this podcast about Indigenous women publishing and Indigenous publishing worlds. And I'm here with only one of my co host podcasters today. You sound so sad. I'm sad. I am sad. We miss Sheila a lot. Yeah, Sheila's not here. She's at Back to Batash this week, which is awesome. If any of our listeners out there have not heard of what Back to Batash is, definitely look it up. And if you're a Metis person, definitely go. Next year's the fifty year of Back to Batash so I wanna see all my relatives out there. I'm trying to get together a slow pitch team. So if anyone <laughs> slow pitch better. team yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> slow pitch team. So if anyone wants to be on the bookwoman slow pitch team, hell
1: yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. It's really sad that Sheila's not here because I know that she was actually, this was one of the interviews that she was looking forward to Uh-oh. the most.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> so.
1: Uh, but she did send me a couple of questions, so oh, I can ask them right. and frame it in a Sheila-esque kind of way. Right, <laughs>
2: and we'll be, and we'll maybe we'll pretend we're talking to Sheila. Yes, in that we moment. can pretend. Yeah, we'll like we'll Sheila. She that's face that. an incredible question. Oh my god, so do you exactly. Want to okay,
0: yourself. So I am
1: Tanya. <laughs> I am one of the co-hosts of the podcast. Again, Sheila's not here today, but we'll be missing her. And we are here with our guest. I'm not going to introduce you. I'll let you introduce okay. yourself
2: because I don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah, okay. whoever wants to go first. Okay, I'll go first. Tonse, Molly Swain Nitsigason, Nitotsen. My name is Molly Swain. I'm a Métis woman, uh, originally from Calgary, Alberta. I am a co host of Orupemsus Kwewewek Gitsikisakok, Métis in Space. Space, 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 space. Uh, and I'm also a PhD student in the Faculty of Native Studies here at the U of A. All right. Thank you for that because otherwise I would not know what information
3: I should be divulging about myself. Oh yeah, I just I just like freestyled it. That's amazing. Yeah, Chelsea Valnitziga son mantusak eigene kni tozien, maga ni wegen uta amatsuatsi wask uh kanuts. Ni ego aut pem su umania yeah. apo apie umania. So I'm from Lac St. Anne, Metis. I've got six daughters, and I'm always stressed and exhausted because of that. What do I do? I I am a eternal master student. I feel like I'm never gonna finish my thesis ever. I think that's like what a lot of grad students feel like. Yes. Molly lapped me and is doing her PhD, and I'm so grateful that I am not doing my PhD. It's a wonderful freedom. <laughs> and I also am a Cree instructor at the Faculty of Native Studies, and I do odd and, and sorts of things there too. I don't really know what I do. You you also co host this podcast. Oh yeah, I'm do. a co host for the podcast. Yeah. You do That's everything. Right. Everything. Yeah. I I do I, I, I do it everything the and nothing. Hustle. Like yeah. when you're hustling, like I oh, yeah. just that bring in paychecks randomly. Yes. yes. It's true. Yes. Yes. All those
0: little side jobs. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, the side hustle is real. Just keep yeah. it coming. Yeah. yeah. So we invited
1: you both today to talk about your amazing podcast. Hooray. Because <laughs> yeah. as we all know, storytelling takes place in many different forms and mediums, graphic novels, I don't know, books oral storytelling. We've explored a bunch of them in our podcast, but
2: Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your mating space? Yeah. So we do a lot of different things Um, sort of on its face, uh, sort of the bulk of what we do is Chelsea and I sit down, we drink a bottle of red wine and we watch some kind of film or television episode That's within the speculative fiction genre, so that's science fiction, fantasy, and horror. um, And the episode or film has to have something to do with Indigenous people. And there's weirdly a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And then we sit down and we talk about what that... Representation looks like so. Yep. What the representation is, what the narratives are like, uh, the treatment of indigenous people and indigenous themes in speculative fiction. And then we also
3: do a lot of world building. So it wasn't enough to just like sort of do a, like the, a critique of these things. We decided that we also wanted to, to create a universe for for Métis and space to exist in, and uh, we did so by like rejecting apocalypse and deciding that uh, the future we want to see doesn't have to happen because things get so immeasurably horrific that you know like everything ends and we have to start anew, we we decided that we could actually, like, you know, create futures that are based on good things. Uh, So we think about, like, you know, if we could have anything we wanted, we didn't have to explain the steps of how to get there. What would a decolonized future look like for us? And so that that allowed us to sort of, like, cast our minds into the future in a way that I think a lot of Indigenous peoples don't get to, because we're just always dealing with the day-to-day, you know, survival and reaction to whatever... You know traumas happening in the moment and so we've done it in a few different kind of fun ways and that's kind of like my favorite part about it is when we brainstorm up these ridiculous sometimes not always working little things that we insert into uh The
2: episodes we haven't really like done much this episode, but well, this season we're just starting. This season, yeah, yeah, we just recorded our third episode of the fifth season, so we're like we're still ramping up with it. Yeah, we
3: went Uh, real hard at first, like we we like recorded all the time, and then um and then like academia
2: really sort of slowed things down. Yeah, really a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean that's okay. Like one of one of the things, that, one of my favorite things about the podcast is that we're not beholden to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we are part of the Indian and Cowboy uh, podcasting network with Ryan McMahon, but he has been very, very hands off in the best way. Like he's very supportive in the ways that we need support, and um, he resources us uh, when we need resources. But he he doesn't make us stick to a schedule. He doesn't <laughs> ask us ba- like he asks <laughs> us like, a, like the just most bare minimum stuff. Yeah. Um, he basically is really there to just like support the work that we do. But aside from that, like we don't do advertising. We don't do Patreon on stuff we don't do we don't improve our production value at
3: all (laughs) it's it's the same shitty production value since day day one we are Um, legit
2: but you know i think part of that means that we have the freedom to do whatever we want with it we can say whatever we want we can try new things whenever we Mm -hmm. want and some things people really love some things we don't get a lot of feedback on but to us, it doesn't matter. Like, okay. our, our number one sort of bottom line is that we are doing it as long as it's fun. And if it stops being fun, we stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Which means that if we start feeling like we're getting in a bit of a rut, which has happened a few times, yeah. we're like, okay, how do we make this fun for ourselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can do whatever we want. And we don't have to worry about what other people are going to think about it because, I mean, we didn't think anybody was going to listen anyway. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. so what's the recipe for more fun? Is it more wine? Uh, sometimes it's more wine. <laughs> sometimes. Or sometimes it's um like when Chelsea was pregnant. Well, she's been pregnant twice, twice. as we, since we started doing this. So when, when Chelsea's pregnant, we find sort of like themed cocktails and we'll make Chelsea the virgin version of the cocktail and then I'll have the, the, the full on version. So for a while we were doing that, that was kind of fun. We, it's the guests. I think having, like when people are in town, we have,
3: we have our buds usually Mm -hmm. as guests.
2: Yeah, the storytelling that we do, that world-building yeah, Chelsea was talking it's so about. Fun. We've had dispatches from the future, which is um, ourselves living in the decolonial future. Something happens, right? So a great sci-fi is sort of, it's about how we all live together, right? Mm-hmm. It asks these big, important questions about life and about the nature of, of existing and relating to one another. And so we, tr- we tried to do some of that stuff. And of course, like, keep it light and funny and, and you know, be real style. <laughs> but so we have dispatches from the future, which is we're telling ourselves in the, the contemporary times sort of what's going on in the future, we've had um Girl, girl Champlain, Champlain, I love that so much. Where one of Chelsea's daughters played this, like, new colonizing alien who Just sort of takes all it. this persona of, of this girl Champlain and mm-hmm. tries to recolonize the Métis spaceship. She was so amazing. Um, we've been doing some sort of, like, you know, interesting sort of alternate dimension, like, thinking through sort of alternate dimension stuff. Uh, we had Ask Amunia, which was our first one, which we had to stop doing because it became too relatable for white people. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Once it, like, <laughs> satire is too close to, to truth, it's, it's yeah. not good satire when, once they like the white people stop being mad about it and start yep. loving it we're like mm-hmm. move on move yeah. on <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, just it's stuff like that. And mm-hmm. podcasting as a genre is is really, really amazing because it's incredibly dynamic, right? Like, I think it really takes up the p- tradition of sort of, like, public radio, which a lot of Indigenous people mm-hmm. are still really committed to, especially in sort of, like, more rural areas. Yeah. Um, so anything you can do with radio, you can do with podcasting and more. We've done movies, we've mm-hmm. done agony at columns, we've done blog posts. There's there's now that chapter in, uh, in
3: 150 Years Retold yeah. mm-hmm. that's based in the Métis space universe,
2: and we're working on a graphic novel. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, it's it's this weird thing, because, it's like, Chelsea and I were basically just having this sad summer one time, and then all of a sudden we're doing a graphic novel and, like, living our dreams, and just, like, having a really fun time with it. So, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. So, so how did you come up with, like, Métis
3: in Space? Were you just sitting around <laughs> one day and you're like, hey, let's do a podcast? Or was it, like... Literally, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, we're just sitting there watching something and and talking about it and, like, like ripping it apart and laughing and being like, we are so funny. We should record this. This is great. We're the funniest people on Earth. Um, <laughs> and, haha, let's call it, like, Métis in Space. And then yeah. three days later, it was done. Literally like first three episode. days later,
2: we recorded our first episode. Yeah. And, and actually, it was really good timing because Ryan McMahon... Uh, who's sort of, like, the grandpappy of Indigenous podcasting with his Red Man Laughing podcast, he had just released his, like, big how-to-podcast podcast, podcast mm-hmm. which goes from, like, conception to publishing to RSS feeds to advertising to, you know, he goes into massive detail about all of this stuff. So we'd listened, we'd both listen to this, and we're like, we ain't gonna do that. Yeah. You know, and then we could listen to our
3: jokes all the time and keep laughing at them. Like, seriously, <laughs> I, I often put on Métis Space, like, especially the first season I really like, I often put it on when I'm doing, like, household chores. Yeah. And then because it's been, been a while since I've listened to it, you know, something will come up, like, the joke will get set up, and then I'll say the joke, and then a second later, the recorded me will say the joke, and then I'm like,
2: oh my god, so funny. <laughs> I still got it,
3: <laughs> I just, like, cackle to it so hard, uh, it's
2: great, yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's, I think, you know, that's one of the things that when we're talking about podcasting, we really like to underscore is that it's almost criminally easy to do, like, yeah. if we can do it, Yeah. you know, like, we had no back, like, neither of us had any background in recording, like, yeah. you know, we did that thing, you know, when you first start hearing your own recorded voice, we were both oh, like, it- oh, Oh, Super weird. Ugh. Yeah. And like, I can't believe we sound like that. Right? We had no experience. Yeah. N- nothing with audio recording software, uh, audio production work, audio editing. Obviously not websites. SoundCloud. We had to learn SoundCloud on the oh go. God, we set up a Twitter for, you know, like we didn't, but we managed to put out something that even with our like basically $0 budget and total lack of experience sounds not terrible. You yeah, and, and we just went from
3: there. So. I mean, some people, some uh, there have been a few people who were like, I can't even listen to this. The production value is so low. And I'm like, see
1: ya. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, one's, yeah no one's forcing you here. Yeah.
3: But man, is that ever so? That's how familiar. we actually sound. <laughs> <laughs> we are low production value. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell me about it. Like, we have recorded from everywhere, from like the middle of nowhere to like sometimes here at work mm-hmm. and like just holding up. In places, and you know how it's supposed to be like quiet and stuff. Whatever. Like in the episode with Josh, his kid was like playing the drums in the yeah. background. And we're That's it's, awesome. Tanya's mom's dogs were barking, and I love them, that. And we're like. What are mm-hmm. we gonna do? Yeah, we, get, we like, can't Chelsea's go kids. re-record. Like, but that's Indigenous hey, practice, yeah. Yeah. right? We don't
3: separate ourselves from our families and our communities, yeah. and so like, like you can hear throughout, like you you hear my kids growing throughout the 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 seasons, like from like literally being like a little baby in the room to just like a few chirps to like they're running around and stomping on our heads, like when we're recording in the basement, and all that's part of like our actual life, and if people don't like like it, like yeah. then yeah. I don't
2: and, you care. Know, Part of the thing too is you know, you listen to a podcast like Serial or this American life or something, they have teams of people, mm-hmm. right? They have teams of people researching the content, professional hosts, professional producers, yeah. all of this stuff. And like, if that's what you want to listen to, that's great. But you know, yeah. none of us can afford that kind of th- like we're indigenous podcasters. You think anybody's throwing money at yeah. us? Yeah. Especially the stuff that like we that say, we do. Oh. Yeah, no shit. yeah. Like yeah. I really
0: like last podcast on the left, but I'm like, they probably have like a huge team. That's yeah behind them and oh, they yeah. have like a beautiful website and all this merch and i'm like we're just exploring kind of merch right now mm-hmm. and i'm like how do we do this the mm. cheapest that's not going to come out of our own pocket
1: yeah yeah well a lot of them too are produced by cbc i know a couple yeah, of that's them right, yeah. i mean the secret life of canada are now funded by cbc are they not i, can't I don't remember know. but yeah. anyways let's if you don't mind, can we take a little rewind? I know we were talking yeah. a lot about the podcast, but you—we're all talking about relationality here. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. a huge relationship person, mm-hmm. so how how did your friendship happen? Like, I mean how <laughs> how did you end up together it
2: and then weird. making this podcast? It was a bit weird, actually. So I I was following Chelsea's blog for a while, and I was like, wow, Chelsea Bow, so cool. She's living in Montreal. I'm living in Montreal. We'll probably never run into each other. I'm pretty cool. sure I did see you a couple times at First People's House because I probably. basically lived there the first year I yeah. was there. Yeah. Yeah, we probably did. But I was kind of like, whoa. Hmm. And uh, but then so Chelsea on her Twitter put out sort of she wanted to move and she was looking for a new a apartment. Big place. And it was a big place. And it just so happened that I was living in this walk up in um, Verdun and the place below me. Was the exact size that she was looking for. So I was like, look, I don't know if you're interested in moving to Verdun, but like, here's the number, check it out. And Chelsea liked it and moved in. Yeah. And so we became neighbors. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) Neighbor, <laughs> I was, like, so in. I was, like, 100% yeah. in. I was, like, there's another Métis from Alberta yeah. living below me in this, like, hellscape of Montreal. Like, we're going to be friends. We're going to be neighbors. I'm and we knew a lot of the, the same time. people
3: anyway. That's we what, did. Yeah, we, like, yeah. totally had a lot of friends in common. And it turned out, like, so we were, we were in Montreal, but we kind of, like, were in with this, like, expat Cree Métis, like, Prairie group. Yeah. You know, just all these. Like, it's funny how... I went and I you know, I became friends with
2: people who like I had met in Alberta but we're from the same places. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're sort of in these territories that aren't your own mm-hmm. that are like so drastically different, yeah. feel really, really isolating because you're like away from all of your relations and just surrounded by this really intense sort of like francophone oh my gosh sovereignty BS yeah. all the time. And so it's like you start to like you just gravitate towards prairie, other prairie people who
3: like make fun because we come from the prairies where like if you don't make fun there's no fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> isn't that the real? truth yeah. yeah everybody like in big city like Toronto and stuff. they're like oh I need the fun to come to me and we're like
2: that's not how shit works out here no like. there's, there's not enough fun if you like expect the city to give you yeah, fun no. you know but yeah and then of course Chelsea like had this like big family that eventually started growing and stuff and you know I was still an undergrad so you know at McGill so everybody you know I was the oldest person there and I started when I was only 22 and I was the oldest person that I knew so weird and so it's all of these sort of like mostly middle upper middle class white students learning to do their laundry for the first time like literally that was a complaint I heard I I was
3: like in a law I was I I went into law school after I graduated graduated from law from here my exit strategy to move to Montreal was like I was gonna I was gonna get my my civil law in in Quebec because they have a different system. But they anyway whatever. Long story short, I'm sitting there with all these fucking seventeen and eighteen year olds, yeah. you know, and they're like, oh my god, I, it took me so long to figure out how to do my own laundry. My mom won't do it anymore, and I was like, die. Yeah. <laughs>
2: privilege. Yeah, yeah. That is what
1: privilege is. Yeah, Gross. but it, but it also
2: means that there's no other generations. It means that everybody you know is between the ages of 18 and 25, mm-hmm. which is I think a deeply unnatural and like harmful experience, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's really, really, and you never get that in indigenous communities, right? And you don't like even mm-hmm. in our faculty, right? We have students that are a lot older. We have students that bring their kids in, yeah. you know, which is like normal. a much more natural, <laughs> natural situation. So the fact that Chelsea had this big family and was like living a real life, I was like, oh, thank God, kids, Oh God, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I need to hang out all the time, yeah. and that just, you know, it just felt a lot more normal to have that around.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, I think so. I've definitely found like within the faculty of Native Studies a lot of people that now are almost like family and not just mm. friends that I. I hang out with all the time and have been invited to like their kids' weddings mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and when they have grandkids just hanging out with them
3: yeah. and holding babies and doing stuff. I know and I love it. Every time somebody comes in with the baby stroller, I'm like, baby. Yeah. yeah. I'm making little grab- hands yeah. You have to stop at our office now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Normally I'm not like babies, but I'm like, oh you have children that can talk to me mm-hmm. and like <laughs> hang out and maybe play with bubbles. Like I don't know. <laughs> My <laughs> just, like, yeah, like, Tanya's kids, when they're, like, tiny, I'm like, you're delicate and you don't do much. What am yeah, I going to yep. do with you? That's but, fair. like, when they get to be able to run around and have fun, that's more when, like, Auntie Kayla comes swooping in. Right. Until yeah. Auntie Kayla has to Auntie out and be mm-hmm. like, don't eat my pickles. Like not me at man I'll Ann. hold all the babies <laughs> yeah. the babies just come to me yeah Yeah, that's
1: amazing. yeah you like the babies so baby give me man. the older I, I am yeah. that's what ha- sorry side note at Lack Saint Anne, there was this random kid that walked up to us with a wagon and there was a baby in the wagon and this kid started talking to me and she's like hey my name is so and so this is my sister so and so do you want to hold her I'm like What? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do want to hold your
0: little sister. That was from the same family that I had to anti out on her little brother because he was like, I like pickles, and then went into my cooler and ate, tried to eat my pickles that were in my cooler. I was like, don't eat my pickles. Mm-hmm. but, I was like, but if also if i just ask, appreciate that kids yeah like, like i was like if that. You, could
3: asked, so on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you could have asked you could have
0: had some pickles but yeah. you didn't ask so don't eat my pickles no the
3: stolen pickles are always tastier it's and true. i was like just
0: don't i only had like four of them and i was like don't eat my pickles <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> and then of course <laughs> everybody was laughing
1: so i'm looking at sheila's question here because she's not here she texted me this morning and she said oh she also wanted me to tell you this this isn't sheila um, quotation. I found Metis in space when I was first listening to podcasts and I was living in Toronto, and her mind was blown when she found you. Oh, Aww. Aww, she's. Thank you, she- not Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also not Sheila. But I, I mean, we kind of asked this question already, but she said what. She wants to know what sparked the idea of having the podcast. So I don't but, know if you wanted to add yeah, anything else a little bit
2: think more. It was we were kind of just doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like we'd get mm-hmm. together. Montreal, uh, at least our communities in Montreal, were very, very into visiting, Mm -hmm. in a way that I think even more so than in Edmonton. Yeah, it's which is strange. Yeah, so we were always we were always visiting with one another. It was summer. I was really underemployed. Chelsea was teaching at the time, so she was off. Yeah, Yeah. so we both had a lot of free time. So I spent a lot of time just at her place. We'd make ourselves a couple of drinks. We'd have snacks, and we both loved speculative fiction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we'd you know we'd like watch something and chat about it or you know we'd like watch music videos and talk about how great they were whatever you know we just do sort of all these things and make jokes and you know we both have this like the sort of like critical minds that you can't really turn off so everything you watch yeah you you start talking about it uh Um, and we were like and it really did sort of just become you know if we record this we can just laugh at our own jokes over and over.
3: But w- w- what's weird now looking at it years later is that at the time we we also felt like we were like very isolated nerds. Like mm-hmm. we're the only ones who are doing this kind of thing or whatever and as soon as we started putting episodes out um, we were getting feedback from people like all over Canada and the US um, who were like I love I love Star Trek too and like da 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 and all of a sudden we, we realized that there's like there's actually a ton of nerds out there who are like wanted some sort of community and so you know we we started meeting and it, like i put that in quotation marks cuz some of these folks we haven't met in person but like you know, Johnny J from A Tribe Called Geek, um, you know, Beth Le Ponce. Um, you know, we we did, uh, we, we guest, yeah, J-O-J, and <laughs> we did like a guest podcast on this like um, Star Trek theme podcast. Yeah, Women at Warp. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, and, with like
2: some hardcore, like oh, I, yeah. I consider myself like a very devoted Trekkie. Yeah. These people were hardcore, like full-on Klingon cosplayers, learned yes. Klingon, yeah. hardcore It was Trek amazing. Yeah. And
3: we are like, wow, there's so many people, and like, you know, older folks and younger folks and like everybody in between, realized there's actually like um like this this huge amount of indigenous out there and then all this stuff started coming together Mm -hmm. and i I, i'm definitely not saying that we were the catalyst i think we just became aware of it um is like you know then you had in um you know uh indigicon um so much was going on that we became aware of and it was it was being in social media and stuff allowed us to talk to folks and collaborate
2: and yeah it's just been really super inspiring there's so much work going on Mm -hmm. everywhere Yeah, and I think too, you know, one of the things that we sort of came to realize is that one of the, I think one of the things that really draws Indigenous people to sort of speculative fiction and nerdery in general is that it allows that sort of prefiguration, right, that we're not really supposed to be allowed to have as Indigenous people. It allows us to think ourselves into this future, right, Mm -hmm. to imagine, to take up sort of these settler science fiction tropes and to remix them so that they work for us, right, which is something that Indigenous people do with everything, right? So we're not assimilating, instead we're we're not assimilating into settlerisms. Instead, we're taking settlerisms and assimilating them into our own cultures and our own worldviews mm-hmm. and our own sense of who we are as peoples, mm-hmm. right? And that's what sort of futurisms do. And not translating um, for, for the settler gaze, yeah. too. A lot of what we do,
3: we don't We don't don't exp- Like, it's our audience's other Nietzsche's. And so, like, if, if, uh, if white people get anything from that like who cares uh, we yeah. we don't like translate it for them we're not like feeding them anything it's not for them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think there's something there's something to be said
1: there too i mean i'm thinking a lot about nostalgia cuz when you said star trek i'm thinking about like hanging out with my family mm-hmm. and that's how that's how we do it it's all generations hanging out in front yeah. of one tv watching star trek
3: yep. I mean when I was a kid, it was next generation for me. Yes, oh, when I was yes. a kid, my mom. It was mom, the highlight of the week,
1: right? My my mom, she always asked. She would ask us, "Okay, kids, do you want to go to the circus or do you want to go to the Star Trek convention?" We're like Star Trek all the way, and yeah. she'd yeah. buy us Spock ears, and we'd go oh, in wow, our little Hasbree awesome. ears. It's so awesome. Amazing. But I wonder, I wonder about that, like because it's it's a show that spans the generations too, right? Mm. So there's some yeah, relationships and we've heard, we heard that. from
2: people who their whole community would get together yeah. on Sundays to watch Star Trek Yeah, Whoa. like yeah it was like a community thing right like mm-hmm. they would go around and there would be like a couple of houses that they'd go to and but everybody and that's what they talk about during the week right mm-hmm. so that's the other thing too right because I think there's this idea that television especially sort of when television was first starting that it was one of those individuating technologies and alienating mm-hmm. right yeah, like, yeah. yeah you, you, it, it's anti-relational yeah, right? yeah this yeah, yeah. idea that mm-hmm. TV um, is is you know anti-relational it's sort of like part of this neoliberal Uh, way of isolating and individualizing our own experiences sort of with media and entertainment and narrative but you hear stories like this and you realize mm. the opposite is true mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. things like fandoms conventions mm-hmm. you know c- communities or families all getting together to watch the show everybody you know and like thinking about like something like Game of Thrones everybody's talking about Game oh, of yeah, Thrones right it's a yeah. way that you can relate to people yeah, yeah. right and somebody who doesn't watch it it's like it is it's like isolating yeah you're on the butt. outside yeah, yeah totally so, you know I think it's important that we like look at these sorts of media as ways of relating to one another and as community builders right mm-hmm. and so Mm-hmm. So That's becomes part of what makes shows like Chambers for example so so important mm-hmm. because they are indigenous stories and it's not just that there's an indigenous lead it's an yeah. indigenous story and in, like indigenous in indigenous context right anyway we did Chambers yesterday that's yeah right. I,
3: it's, I, it's so funny because like <laughs> Molly's the hugest swim and I'm like so. I'm, I'm only slightly less wimpy but yeah I finally got her to watch Chambers that was uh,
2: awesome it was so scary but so awesome yeah oh I'm gonna have to check that out oh, yeah. oh it is yeah, yeah. so yeah. worth it yeah. really yeah uh, I can't
3: do horror the no. ring girl ruined me for life no 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 oh, like, I love horror. I'm like, yeah. We like, also cannot do
2: horror. <laughs> yeah. So I just stopped watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer because it was too scary.
3: Yeah. The only one oh. I can watch
0: is the musical episode. <laughs> it is oh, like so my jam. I'm especially such like a fan of the old school, like 1970s slasher flicks. Oh, like oh, yeah, I, I am like bring the on the chains, yeah. like, Bring yeah. on the chainsaws, like <sighs> the more just throw buckets of blood on. Like, yeah, I can't. It. I can't because I, I can't stop it. thinking
3: about it really. Oh, yeah. it, I get obsessive and it really bothers me. And
0: mm-hmm. I like I live in an old Farmhouse oh and like God. I just oh really God. want to oh, do Laura. a Halloween at my Why? place where I have like the chainsaw and just come out oh, of see, the bushes. That flushes,
3: would probably like, be rah. too scary. I for would me. literally die. <laughs> to <go> to. So <laughs> this is I not like it. that. <laughs> yeah, we like, can definitely yeah. watch it. I don't know if I can handle it. If that. we could watch it, you could watch okay. it. Okay, um, watch. it. I mean, watch it during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that put helps. the volume down a little bit because I find atmospheric music like it's there to like ramp up the tension. bothers me a little bit.
2: But yeah, and turn on the turn on the captions and just yeah. And there's not. It's it's more just So. I saw Get Out, which was... I still... I can't even look at GIFs of Get Out. It's so scary. But it reminded me... It's like a a lot of what makes Get Out scary is is the tension. It's not really that anything scary is necessarily happening. Nobody's really jumping out at you. You it's, It's like not you know but it's the tension mm-hmm. that ramps and chambers it's all about this tension mm-hmm. it's about race tension and class tension yes and relational that's tension. the horror is is like yeah is all of yes yeah, yeah. the, the 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 race and class and mm. i would yeah i would i would just give it a watch and if you need to turn it off you need to turn it off but like it's just so cool seeing an indigenous woman lead character young woman who's like has this incredible non-fetishistic sexual agency right from the beginning of the show and it, it really is it's all about her and she talks we've done five seasons we've watched dozens, literally dozens and dozens of speculative fiction that deals with Indigenous people. We have never had an Indigenous woman lead character who talks. It's it's unbelievable. No, so. I'm surprised too. Like, what? Yeah. That exists? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, this num- this, nice. this may be the first one. I know. I'm hoping it's the first of many. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, I think you could argue that something like a Red Girl's reasoning is yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speculative fiction, but it's like 10 minutes long. It should be a feature. But yeah. So would yet. you say that's your favorite episode so far? Red Girls' Reasoning,
3: yeah. Oh, we, well.
1: Or do you have any, know any favorite favorite Chambers? Chambers? Cham- Yeah, Chambers. Yeah. Chambers. Yeah.
3: Uh, our favorite episode? I don't know. Um, i have got, got a couple.
2: Awesome. I mean, *Lilo and Stitch*. You could argue is also about indigenous women who talk, but it's a Disney movie. Yeah. Which then I think it's it's the context is a little different there. Yeah. I. It's definitely up there for me. I think they I, I mean we talked about it for in so terms of long. like
3: actually being good like I've got yeah. I've got some favorite episodes that were just bad yeah <laughs> but but yeah in terms of like actual representation and being for native people and versus like telling native stories that are legible to non non natives mm-hmm. like yeah I would say this is probably one of the best things it's up seen. there for sure
2: and it's it's interesting too because I think through because we do we've done stuff all the way back to the 60s to contemporary stuff and I think what we've seen in general is that sort of indigenous representation indigenous narrative and speculative fiction peaks sort of around the late 80s and early 90s yeah and then,
3: and it then gets really pe- bad yeah it gets, like the gets aughts in the again. aughts everything yeah. that we saw from the earlier aughts sucked so bad yeah like was super fetishistic
2: inaccurate a hodgepodge of like stereotypes yeah the Way the oh, wigwam oh. totopole all in the same area sort of yeah. thing mm-hmm. but it's i think it's interesting right because there is sort of this liberal progression narrative that we're all fed about, you know, society in general, but also about media, that media is becoming more diverse, it's becoming more representative, yeah. new types of stories are being told but when you actually do the kinds of surveys we've sort of been doing unintentionally, you realize that that's not the case. It, it really does, it comes in waves yeah. and you can really sort of trace those things, like even looking back, even like representation of women for example, looking back in sort of like the early to mid 90s, you get all of these like incredibly badass strong women mm-hmm. who don't need saving in like action, like I'm thinking about like Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat or Melina mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who is just like this like disabled sex worker killing cops and this disabled sex worker anti-cop revolution in Total Recall. You know, yeah, like, you yeah. would never see, or Blade, right? Yeah. yeah like, yeah, I yeah. saw the original Blade recently. I was like, this is the greatest movie of all time, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, it's so unapologetically anti-cop with this, like, dark-skinned oh, yeah. black man just, like, going for it yeah. so hard unapologetically, and he lives at the end, right? Like, he doesn't become, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, his tragedy is not because he's, you know, anti-cop and, like, not afraid to show it it's you know there's all this other stuff going on but you know you don't get those kinds of narratives so much anymore Mm -hmm. and like hopefully you know with with chambers and and things like that we're maybe seeing another shift but i think it's it's important to note that we're not it's not this sort of linear progression and that we do have to keep fighting
3: i think that's that's a big thing is because i I, and this is this is true of like um native politics and stuff too is Mm -hmm. right you you have like really intense periods of, of uh repression and oppression and uh, and then intense like organizing among indigenous peoples, and then you get you gain some headway, and then you get funding, and then you get co opted, and then you get comfortable, and then you work against your own people. And I'm talking about like politics and representation, mm-hmm. to, because you want to maintain the gains that you think you've gone, and then the next generation has to go through the struggle again. But this time they're they're fighting not only you know the settler state, they're also fighting the entrenched previously were activists who are now like kind of like towing the line and and, and fan- of incrementalism um, you know you're fighting your own people mm-hmm. and and I'm really seeing this too with like I think this is what has happened a little bit with like cinema is like you know we we, we, we kind of got a wedge in like there's like a little you know there's a few actors and you know a few directors and, and stuff like that but it's kind of like you know the the industry is like, all right, that's enough. That's enough representation, mm-hmm. and and then it's really hard to like break out of that, mm-hmm. right? And if you want to, you're sort of seen as like, you know, you're like you're attacking the people that have been there for a really long time. But that's not really the case. You're just trying to expand things, mm-hmm. um, and and do things in different ways, and and that can be seen as threatening. I guess uh it's yeah it's super frustrating but that's the thing is every generation we have to get out of this narrative that we're ever going to be able to just you know like like coast along mm-hmm. like we have every generation has to fight it's a new fight every time and not only does every generation have to fight they also have to fight the generation that came before them
2: yeah and I think it's I think that's really important because I think so now that I'm like in my 30s and sort of realizing that like you know there's there's stuff that young people are doing now that I don't really understand yeah and like that's okay I don't really understand why they're doing it and mm-hmm. I don't need to necessarily right like I would like to, but I don't need to. But I think Mm -hmm. the most important thing that we can do as sort of we're all getting a little bit older is be able to not only make space for these young people to do work that for us maybe seems inexplicable or seems scary or whatever, but that we support them in Mm -hmm. it right because I think you know I, I recently heard the term frump which is formerly radical upwardly mobile professor what Wait, it, is like, thing, that, it is such a thing though it is such a thing I can think of so many people and I'm oh, just like yeah. right now I'm just like terrified That's that I'm becoming that. that root, right because you know for the first time in my life I can I can afford things like rent and food at the same time yep. all the oh, time, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily have to work, right? And so it's like you feel yourself getting comfortable. You feel yourself—that's how it happens in politics and, and everything, co-o-o-o-ed. yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and it right. happens in you know it happens if you work for the city, it happens yeah. if you work for indigenous organizations, right? You get you get comfortable, and then you, you start, get scared. And that fire starts getting a little bit doused. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't want to go lose. without it. Yeah, you don't want to yeah. go back to that precarity. Yeah. yeah, right. But that precarity, I think, in a lot of ways, and it's sad, right? Because we shouldn't have to feel precarity in order to to feel motivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, motivated, but. I think, yeah, that precarity does, it lights a fire under you. And the young people, and especially under Mm -hmm. neoliberalism, right, young people are realizing that, you know, opportunities are shrinking, 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 right? And I think we all know that opportunities are shrinking, too, so we want to hold on to it so desperately. Mm -hmm. But I think, as Chelsea was saying, in our our fight to hold on to our comfort and our our stability or what little bit of stability the state is currently offering us.
3: We get in the way. Or we we can actively become... The, you know gatekeepers or like the people who are stopping young folks from doing what they need to do yeah. to survive even mm-hmm. like and that's that's what's so scary too is i think a lot of that you know i was talking about how we you know there's this wedge that sort of opened up in indigenous uh you know in filmmaking and stuff like that but I, that it's everywhere right and so there's this idea that um you know what what we have access to is a, is a pie, and once you start taking slices out, there's le- less for everybody. It's this scarcity model that we all work from, because that's the model that we're sort of, that is administered for us. And it can make us cliquish, it can make us jealous, it can make us violent towards one another because we start feeling threatened when when other people are taking up spaces that we feel are like Mm -hmm. it's our space and it's the only space we have and i think that what molly and i really feel strongly about not like this is why we're saying too we, we reject apocalypse and we reject scarcity that that is not a model that is in any way liberatory it's not gonna it's not gonna create futures for us we have to open that model up and, and make sure that we're continuing to make space and space is infinite. We can continue to make space and not rent out of space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing too, is
2: there's also this myth, myth that like the rising tide raises all boats, mm. which I think is also something that we really have to be critical of because what we see instead is that it's sort of the state and sort of the actors of the state rather than raising all boats, rather than making everything and everyone more acceptable within sort of like you know liberal uh, narr- narratives of tolerance and inclusion blah 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 Instead, we see a shift in goalposts, right? So it becomes, you know, after the TRC, it became more acceptable to be outspoken and indigenous. Mm -hmm. But what that actually means, and what we kind of see that actually means, is there's certain types of art and poetry and expression that become acceptable, and others that remain unacceptable or become more unacceptable, Yes. right? There are certain types of indigenous people that become acceptable in the mainstream, but it gets re-entrenched that other people are bad, deviant, Mm -hmm. wrong. And, you know, and it just, it it really is sort of that genocidal narrative, but the focus gets shifted, right? And so it's like, if we're, if when we become sort of like part of the privileged mainstream, even if it's still marginal, I'm not saying that we're not so marginal, we definitely are. But again, we want to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And we don't pay attention to these other people over here that are facing increased repression. Right? So when we are doing work, especially narrative work, I think it's really, really important that we, or not activist work or whatever you want to call it, right? It's really, really important that we don't just think about ourselves, our own families, or even our own nations. Mm -hmm. We really, really need to start thinking about from a sovereignty perspective, if this is our land, and if we really believe that we're the ones who should be deciding what occurs on our own lands, we need to be thinking about everybody that lives here. Yeah,
3: which often just means white settlers. But, but, but no that, yeah but it should mean the opposite voice. That's rights. exactly it. it is. It it's always there's this like two nation narrative like indigenous people as a homogenous whole and then white people. But really it's like no, our like we want to focus on like you know uh, black communities, communities of color, all all of all of these people who are deliberately set up by you know white supremacist settler colonialism to be also vying under that scarcity model with us, right? So we we have to we're, we're always like at odds with these other people and all of us are trying to speak directly to the white well, fuck that. Let's, like, not talk to the white settler at all. Let's talk to each other and, like, mm-hmm. stop that. Yeah. That's why I think that metaphor that you were talking about, is it's very crucial. Because you said...
1: A rising tide mm-hmm. raises all boats, right? Mm-hmm. But large waves sink small ships, yep. yeah. right? So if a bunch of different small ships band together, then there's no way that that wave can a destroy slotilla.
2: you. Yes. A flotilla! A flotilla!
1: <laughs> there you go. An
2: armada! <laughs> Try go. sink
1: us now! Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: I, I do. I think that's really important, right? Because I, I really see that sort of in this fight, and you see it even among indigenous peoples, right? The yeah. sort of like First Nations versus Métis versus oh, Inuit. Gosh. Like, you know, yeah. all of that BS, right? And, and the ways in which... We harm each other because we're all fighting for this, what we see as sort of these, like, infinitesimal resources that Mm -hmm. we're getting or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we also need to think about it, I think, from a global perspective, right? Because even though we suffer under colonialism, we also benefit from it. And I think we need to be more upfront about the ways in which we do that, right? Like, the imperialism and neocolonialism that's happening in the Southern Hemisphere, for example, we directly benefit from that right? But we never talk about that. We never talk about the ways in which we can start forming alliances with people down there in order to create new ways of living and being I mean,
3: we do talk about that. And some of that is happening. Like I know for years and years, like even back in the nineties, there were like Mapuche delegations who were coming up Mm. to meet with the Cree, the Lubicon and stuff like that. Mm. So there are, it's just, it's some, a lot of that relationship building has been ongoing for decades and isn't necessarily like online. So it is, it is happening, but it's, it's also, it's also very specific because there's certain people that are considered indigenous and then indigeneity in africa for example is often like not discussed or or because or people are like it's too complex and so it's like africa is like left out of of global indigeneity Mm -hmm. and so indigeneity is like the americas and australia and new zealand and a few other places but like meanwhile like we have not been very good at making connections with other indigenous peoples and i think that Mm -hmm. that's kind of where hopefully things are going to be going now yeah
2: and also, you're just going to be becoming, be becoming more of a priority. Mm-hmm. Like you said, sort of decentering the settler from the work that we do.
3: Yeah. And I understand, like, that need, you know, and, and, and sort of that shift towards refusal for state recognition and all that. But it's just, if you have any, this is the thing, too, is, like, I think young folks, like, and I'm thinking about myself when I was younger, too, is it, it's really important to have a sense of, of um of history of indian organizing like throughout the the generations because you do see things happening over and over and over again and the gains made are so fucking small that it's you're like wait a minute like or, is or this? It goes backwards it like, does yeah. it off and you that's the the tiny thing. gains but you lose yes. so much and it claws back yeah. every yeah. time every time section 35 woo claw back claw back claw back yeah. you know like Supreme Court decisions like Marshall clawback, clawback, like yeah. that happens over and over again, and at some point, without disrespecting the work that has been done before, because those people worked their butts off and they and they, ex- they experienced a lot of violence and they really really believed, you know, without disrespecting that work, just being aware of it and even having these people tell us, you know, like some of the older people are mm-hmm. saying, like, hey, we did this and we're in these spaces again, and honestly, we, we don't see much change. So why are we repeating that? And 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 I think a lot of that is the focus on always trying to build bridges with people and invest so much community energy. How many times do we like, pour our hearts out to this settler state to try to get them to, to see us as human beings and you know there's like a surge of sympathy for a while and it and then they're like mm-hmm. back to fucking us over not even back to because they never stop yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right so like at, you know every every generation has to struggle yeah. and we have to find new tactics and if we don't understand what's come before then we're just going to keep repeating these these sort of um you know we're, we're, we're going to keep believing that we can just humanize ourselves into liberation yeah. mm-hmm. um, but the oppressor is never going to see us as humans because it it goes against their sense of humanity, which is very exclusive. I can only be human if other
2: people are not. And I guess to bring it back to making space, the other side of that, or I guess it's the same side, right? Mm -hmm. Is that we also need to be able to envision these futures for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to put ourselves into these narratives that we're going to be here. We're always going to be here. And that's, I like, I like it because it resists settler assumptions of indigenous disappearance Without needing to put all of our attention onto them, mm-hmm. which I think is sort of that's kind of the important work. How do we continue to be resistant to be subversive without centering what it is the settlers are necessarily doing to us? Mm-hmm. Instead, we're centering what we want to see, our own our own shit, you know, like yeah. how we want to relate to other people, how other people want to relate to us, right? And I think what part of what we're trying to do with our world building aspect of maintained space is to say, you know, offer one vision, you know, it's, it's like, it's a cheesy vision, you know, it's like, it's like a original Star Trek, space, (laughs) based tin foil, dressing a dog in a costume and calling it an alien sort of, you know, that kind of future. But it is sort of doing that work. Like what kinds of technologies do we get to have? Mm -hmm. What kinds of societies do we build? What kinds Mm of badass fashion do we have? Mm -hmm. You know, like what Mm -hmm. kinds of problems will we face and how will we address them? Right. Like that's to me sort of the best of speculative fiction is that you're thrown into this situation the norms are different the trappings are different the environments different but fundamentally the issues are the same mm-hmm. so how do we build novel solutions to them
1: well you could even say i mean outside of the content of your podcast of course even just your production decisions is resistance right yeah. so you're you're not getting funded by major parties you're not we include changing exactly including the family, exactly yeah. Including yeah, yeah. The family um, not going crazy on the production value <laughs> you yeah. know it, yeah. that's the thing yeah. you're holding your ground and i think that's really important and really critical. Yeah, Admiral I mean, for you know, sure. and
2: that being said, like, I'm thinking about folks like um, Rick Harp, who does Media Indigena, who's, yeah. you know, who does take, I mean, he has a patron, he's not taking like, it's not like he's taking oil money or anything. But, yeah, you know, he he does that part time, like, he he's only working part time right now, because he's so committed to this project. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he has some of that experience, or right? he has broadcasting experience and all of that. So, you know, he's able to make something that is like, production and he's yeah. able to spend a lot of hours on every episode and all of this and I really respect him for doing that
3: yeah, I, but we couldn't do that like we're yeah, exactly. honoring we're honoring what we bring to the table which is no money smarts no interest in doing like a massive side hustle ar- around me teen space like wanting I mean, to center like, joy talked
2: about it a couple of times yeah. and we both sort of decided that it really, really wasn't for us but no. but I just I want to make it clear that you know there's lots of different ways of going about yeah, yeah, yeah. this kind yeah. of thing, um, and there's thinking, people doing it in other ways that are still, yeah, really, which is really, totally good. we yeah, yeah. work.
1: Even yeah. talking about well, Me- media indigenous. I mean, Rick Harp. I love that podcast. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. to like bash us or anything, but he's he's an indigenous man, right? This yep. is an indigenous Métis women production. Mm-hmm. We do things differently, man. Yep, mm-hmm. totally differently. So I don't know if you can even compare the two.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know. That being said, though, like I don't. I also. I, I hesitate to be like, well, he's an indigenous man, so he does it this way because I don't want to shut down if there are other indigenous women and other Métis mm-hmm. women who say like, I, I go, want to do, do it that way. Oh, yes. yeah. Surely, yeah. No, I want to put yeah. in my, my time yeah. and my energy. Like, I'm all for that. If you want to do that, fucking go for it it doesn't mm-hmm. you know it doesn't mean that you're doing it in a way that's not indigenous or not mm-hmm. you know enough of being an indigenous woman or an indigenous feminist mm-hmm. but i do i like i do yeah. recognize that the specificities you know do tend to be gendered right mm-hmm. and and the, the types of energy that you're able to put towards something it does really depend on you know your family obligations and where mm-hmm. you're coming from and, mm-hmm. and all of that yeah
1: and that's what i'm um, thinking like of families yeah. and including your family into yeah. the podcast yeah. experience right because you have a life outside of this podcast not yeah. saying
2: that he doesn't so I don't yeah, I mean I don't I don't really, I know I don't really <laughs> have a life on this <laughs> yeah go yeah. ahead I'm thinking
0: and the thing about, like, we've been trying to discuss what we're going to do for season two, if there's even going to be a season two. I mm-hmm. hope there is a book woman, but also just, like, the logistics of doing that, and we're all, except for, like, Tanya, who's a PhD student, that's a different amount of labor than Sheila. I don't even know what Sheila's doing right now. Sheila's living her life, so. <laughs> but, like, for me, like, working a mm-hmm. full-time job for the Ivory Tower, like, mm-hmm. you know, it just it takes a lot to do this kind of stuff, but I've been really enjoying it. And I think one of the big things too, is that we're giving back to our community mm-hmm, members. Mm-hmm. Like we tried not to get a lot of individuals. Cause I know that there was a period of time where it's like, you had to have this person yeah. at your conference yeah. or yeah. giving this talk, but yeah. we're trying to involve individuals who maybe don't get to have like their voices mm-hmm. heard or even going out to community. And that's what I'm mm-hmm. hoping like season two can look a little bit more like yeah. is cause we have gone to just people's homes and hung out with them and have like the experience of you know running around after their dogs and kids and i think that's what's been really meaningful about this podcast Mm -hmm. but also just like looking forward to next season possibly and how we can give back to the community more Mm -hmm. and kind of get more individuals that's the thing
1: like a podcast the recording is just the recording but it's everything outside of that it's the relationships that you two have made with all the people and guests coming in too right so
0: Well, I guess, and too, like, even the relationships, like, people that are listening to you all the time, kind of, like, the unknown relationships about maybe those listeners who listen to, like, every single one, because mm. I know when we had...
3: Outside of Canada, even. We, oh, yeah. We had, like, some weird Norway ones. And like, yeah, and Norway and stuff, yeah. Which yeah. is Sweet. Cool. Yeah.
0: I took one of our new interns on a tour of Native Studies, and I just pointed out, like, your office, because I was just showing them around the basement, and they got so excited. Yeah. Like, I listen to the Métis space all the time! And Wild. I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's their office. It's actually really
2: interesting, too, that you sort of bring up that that relationality that you have with listeners, because... Yeah. So I know when I first – so the first time I talked to Ryan, it was on the phone. I'd never met him before. I'd never – but I'd listened to his podcast so much, and I found myself almost compo- – like, really having to reel myself back from being like, Ryan, how's it going? How are the girls? Like, how's your life? <laughs> right? And I was like, I don't actually know this person. Yeah. But apparently when you listen to somebody's voice, yeah, you you do it. Like, in your brain, it's like you've met them. It's like mm-hmm. you actually know them. Mm-hmm. And it's like this physiological thing. So, yeah, we've experienced it, and I'm sure you, you will as well, where – You'll run into people who really act very, very familiar, even mm-hmm. though they've never met you mm-hmm. before. And the first few times it happens, it's you're really super weird. sort of like yeah.
3: outputting. Especially because we do put details in our pot. Like we talk, yeah. we talk about our lives and stuff. And so people are are learning. Like we we are sort of intimate, but we don't necessarily know who we're being intimate with. Yeah, and so yeah. like when that comes up, when somebody is like they know things about you, it's you're like what. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I actually yeah. so
0: I really like Red Man laughing and mm-hmm. I think I've openly said that mm-hmm. I like to listen to it while I'm working because Ryan has like a very soo- like yes, soothing soo- voice yeah. and it's not cuz some I've listened to some podcasts and I just can't do it cuz like the voice is too... Like, someone's voice is too shrill, or, like, mm. it's too soft, and I'm just like,
3: oh, yeah. this
0: is boring. Yeah. But I had this really, like, funny moment. I think Tanya was there, so Ryan started following me on Twitter, and I was like, I can quit working now for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, Ryan McMahon is following me on Twitter. Like... So funny. My life is complete, but yeah. I was just like... Yeah, because I listened to Red Man Laughing, and I really enjoy, like, Indian Cowboy, most of the podcasts yeah. that are mm-hmm. on there, so... Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you just get this familiarity with somebody because you're just listening to them all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, you know, you're
3: their next-door neighbor or something. Yeah. yeah, But that's why I think it would be great. Like, I, I definitely I love, like, uh, what, one of my favorite podcasts that he did was when he went to the Hyde the working mm-hmm. um, camp. And so he's, like, getting, like, aunties or, you know, the cook there are just, like, you're a weakling. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, and just, like, but hearing, you know, folks talk and being in a natural setting and doing what they do and just, like, him being sort of, like, the fly on the wall the annoying little like what are you doing fly on the wall yeah like I love that kind of stuff because like it really does give you you feel like you're in that space and so like being able to have I think podcasts in community and and doing things like that or talking to folks like you're saying in their home Mm -hmm. opens up spaces for us in ways that like maybe we don't have as much because not everybody not like there's there's so many more urban natives Mm -hmm. you know like and that that is a bit isolating people are not going and visiting as much as they as they used to Mm -hmm. and so if we can we can have kind of those those visits in other ways i think that's really important because we are becoming sort of more atomized so yeah
0: and i think like that was one of the things when we went to Lac St. Anne because Tanya and I went, um I was helping with a research project that she's working on, doing genealogies and hanging out and getting paid for it was kinda nice. But I got to go out there and I think one of my like favorite memories is just sitting down with cookums and mushums that are just they want to know about their families that maybe they don't know and a lot of times it was they because mobility issues or it was really hot when we were out there they would just come under our research tent and like sit in a chair next to me and I'd whip out the census from 1901 and we'd explore it together but I think Mm -hmm. that kind of building relationship too Mm -hmm. is like really important so Mm -hmm. I don't know maybe we'll have to take Book woman on, on tour the road. Yeah. and head out to back to Patosh because I know we're going to be going next yeah, year. Yeah, next year. Awesome. We have to do a live See, on location. Yeah. Even great. at Lac
1: St. Anne, like there's so many so many great stories
0: that we heard just by yeah. like, sitting down and talking yeah. to people. Well I tried like for a while saying, Oh yeah, the book women are on the road, come check us out in Jasper, but nobody came and said hi to us. Yeah. <laughs> because we're not famous enough. <laughs> enough. <laughs> we're more famous than we are less famous Most than we Most of the time, we, we were just getting heckled when we were in Jasper, but Aww. that's another thing. What are you- when, was when that? we were at that conference oh, when yeah, we went to totally con- the conference we go to every year oh that <laughs> one yeah that's
2: but that's okay story. those are librarians Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a different yeah. thing. But I, I really love what you said about that, right? Because I think there is this sort of idea about sort of reciprocity in relationships mm-hmm. that I think podcasting as a medium can really explode, right? I think, like, we all agree that you're in relation with your audience. You're in relation with your listeners. But that doesn't always look like we're creating this content and you're going to give back to us by listening to it, right? Like, it's not mm-hmm. that's not what that is, yeah, no. right? Instead, I think, you know, what, what Chelsea was sort of referring to with sort of this rise of the indigenous community and people finding one another is when people listen to podcasts you know they they start relating to you they hopefully you know take some ideas from you or at least they find some value in what you're doing but hopefully then they take that and they put that out there into the world Mm -hmm. in different ways and i think that's a really important way of understanding reciprocity is reciprocity doesn't necessarily come directly back to you
3: yeah it can be it can
2: be spread out like what the value mm -hmm, of those relationships we're all
3: inspiring each other yeah to do like i definitely had we not encountered all these people doing these amazing projects even maintaining space the way that we we think about it would be very different Mm -hmm. you know so like there and 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 you don't always know, you don't always know what's like sinking into your brain and like coming out. Right. And we try to, we we try to have like, you know, radical citational politics, politics where we're like, we try to really acknowledge the fact that like, we're not coming up with things in isolation. It's coming from so many different places. But yeah, like just as those linkages are made, it's sort of, it's a cascading situation. It's yeah, it's not just like, it's not a two-way reciprocity. It's it's more
2: of an ecology of emotions. A constellation, as it were. Yes. <laughs> and, Beautiful constellation. Yeah, and so like we've we've ended up getting involved in projects that have nothing to do with science fiction, but based out of sort of the work that we do. Yeah, and it's it, it is directly connected. But we, you know, it, it becomes this whole spider web of sort of relations that that bring us places and bring people sort of to us, and you know, we all just are sort of moving around in all these amazing ways, and hopefully all providing value to one another in, mm-hmm. in different ways and and making things better and easier. Uh, in general, sort of among Indigenous people and and other, you know, people that we we want to get in relation with, Mm -hmm. good relation. And, you know, I think that that's a really interesting thing to think about sort of both as a mechanism of publishing, why do we publish, what is the value of publishing, what is the value of making content and putting it out there, Mm -hmm. but also sort of in general, how do we want to live with one another, right? Because I feel like there's this idea, and I know that we talked about this when we were in PhD class together, Mm -hmm. um, we all talked about it, was sort of this idea that reciprocity is transactional. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. I think that reciprocity we need to understand it as something that's more expansive, yeah. and I think that podcasting as a medium and, and just publishing in general is a is a way of doing that. And we don't necessarily need to map it either, because mm-hmm. we know we. I think we all agree that it exists, yeah. right? Like that yeah. kind of rec- reciprocal relationality that is really expansive and outward facing does exist tracing it or mapping it isn't necessarily the most important mm-hmm. thing right just putting the stuff out there and, and letting it grow and become its own thing mm-hmm. I think is it. well
1: even still like reciprocity is not on a linear timeline either yeah. no, you know exactly. reciprocity can come back 30 years from now you yeah. know yeah, and totally. that's okay
3: and yeah. we, we laugh about sometimes about like how future historians will view our work but it's because it's, <laughs> so that's that's all we figured would happen like because again yeah. we didn't expect anybody to listen to us no the weirdest thing has been that some people are studying us now and and so you know, even, even reading some of their conclusions about our work is hilarious because like Cause they read intentions. So fancy. Yeah. They read intentions into what we do that aren't necessarily there or or methods that aren't necessarily there. And yet, you know, it's interesting because like once they start interpreting it that way, like it does sort of become reality.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyway. Yeah. We're like, Oh yeah, we, we are, we are. Doing sure. hundred
3: percent. Yeah. <laughs> <Definitely. laughs> How did you know my theoretical approach? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> All right. My internal clock is saying that that's enough. Like, yeah. I feel like we've
2: hit. Yeah, uh, we have yeah. hit it. All right. Yeah. Wow, yeah. your internal clock's great. It I, is. I know, it actually it is.
1: Um, can I squeak in one last question? 100%. No, sure. uh, so this question obviously is for the listeners, for, I don't know, people who want to do podcasts or anything like that. Could you give them any piece of advice on how to get that ball rolling?
2: Just do it just do the thing do the thing is our our number one piece of advice um, for basically anything that people want to do like
3: you don't even have to buy like a fancy microphone anymore everybody Mm -hmm. has a really good microphone on their phone like we're recording on phones right yes we are seriously just like yeah that don't over and also don't overthink it like you don't have to it doesn't have to be perfect just like is treated as a relationship, as a conversation. It, you can be as niche as you want, yeah. you, you know, like absolutely anything that you can think of, you, you know, you might believe that you're the only person out there who is really into 19th century cookware, but I guarantee you are not. You will find a community. I don't think if there's
2: anything else. Oh, also we got, we do have some resources on our website. I don't, I haven't been able to track down Ryan's Red Men Laughing, How to Podcast Podcast, but Chelsea has a really really good short podcast series that she did on how to build a podcast I think it's what four episodes yep. and it's on our SoundCloud okay. it's on the Métis Space SoundCloud so if yep. people want to get started podcasting yeah. you know Chelsea's an, a great teacher so it's really really accessible really easy to figure out and yeah I would say do the thing especially you know if you're indigenous and especially if you're an indigenous like not cis guy like we need mm-hmm. your voice whatever you know that 19th century kitchenware podcast like, from a that trans is, perspective yeah yes. that is gonna, you know, I would listen to to that like all the time. Totally. You know, like yeah, let's get out there, right? There's there's sort of podcasting still tends to be very cis male dominated and that is so boring. Oh my god. Um so get out there, do the thing. Like we need more indigenous voices out there. It is awesome. Fun. Yeah, keep it fun. I think that's the other yes. thing. Yes. That yeah, that actually maybe is the most important. It is definitely the most important. Because you know, we're talking about the half-breed hustle. It's real. Neoliberalism is real. The gig economy, precarity, austerity, all of that is so real. But, you know, in this rush to monetize everything, in this rush to professionalize everything, we forget that things can and should be fun. So and generative. If, yeah. yeah. So if you yeah. can, and I know not everybody can, try to make it something that you do for fun. Yeah. yeah. That's it.
1: Perfect. Then I'll take this opportunity to thank you,
0: Chelsea and Molly, for joining us today, or I guess this nice sunny morning. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, we will link in for this episode how to access all the cowboy and indian podcasts so definitely take a listen to them because they're great and then also some tips on podcasting for everyone so i think that's it for this episode we are almost done season one of book women
3: yeah yeah, a
0: couple more episodes so definitely take a look out for them maybe we'll see everyone for season two i don't know but hi hi marcy and be good to each other and catch you next time